back, we're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. Happy birthday, Roth. It's hey, your birthday. Thank you. thank you, Drew. What did you get me? An appearance on a podcast? Truly, I say to you, go shorty. It is your birthday. Oh, I appreciate so, that. So, so happy for you. One yes, of the I got things anyone's ever said to me. Yes, that's right. For your, uh, for your, for your birthday, I got you riffs. We're gonna riff on a podcast, baby. Hell yeah! <laughs> we're gonna go at it as hard as we can. Yeah. Welcome back. We're gonna we're gonna be talking sports and getting at it as hard as we can. Absolutely, a hundred percent, sir. That's. Uh, are you gonna have a birthday dinner? I'm like gonna make a birthday dinner. Like I might literally make beans for me and my wife. I like we're there'll be a celebration at some point, TBD, but. It's not going to be anything uh, too too fancy. Maybe we could, get like takeout from the place in our neighborhood that we like. You could eat beans and then you could blow out the birthday cake with your farts. That's you know that's kind of the idea. I'm not get into what we do in our home. <laughs> that's our business. But we do have a guest this week. But before I get to the guest, I do want to say uh, for Texas, uh, we have links for you uh, for Texas to help out with the people in Texas who have been. Uh, completely and utterly devastated by the storms that have been going on down there. So uh, Defector's uh, official Texas correspondent, Kelsey McKinney, gave me some links. For Austin, uh, there's at Austin Mutual Aid Hotels. That's a Venmo handle. Same with uh, San Antonio. That's at PMG Mutual Aid. Uh, Houston is at Mutual Aid H-O-U. And then for North Texas, uh, Rural Resilience, that's uh, at NTRR. For y'all with the number four. So NTRR, number four, Y-A-L-L, if you want to help people down in Texas right now because they need it because their government does not seem to be all that interested, particularly the mayor of Colorado City, in actually helping the people they are supposed to be helping. So please, Uh by all means, uh, help them. And from Texas, a little bit north, Roth, because our guest (laughs) this week is official defector Philadelphia correspondent, Dan McQuaid. Dan McQuaid. Hey, it's Dan McQuaid. Hey, thanks thanks for having me. You guys have like famous people on uh, the previous weeks like just like TV you and stuff. Now it's now it's just me. I feel like I'm I'm the the listeners are going to be let down at you're this a, point. You're a Philadelphia but. celebrity. Yeah, kind yeah, of kind of. Like you're you, also I like you get, got recognized in bars and stuff, right? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh I was recognized. I think the weirdest was when I went to Los Angeles to see the Eagles play the Rams. Um, and it was the year after they won the Super Bowl. So the stadium, you know, it's the LA Coliseum back then. So it was just full back then, three years right. ago. So it's just full of Eagles fans. And I was recognized like three times in Los Angeles that weekend. And my, my, my friends who I was out with were like, Oh my God, we are with. A <laughs> I love the idea of that too of like a city full of famous people. And people are like, I don't ordinarily do this. It was like all dudes in like, you know, Jerome Brown jerseys. So it, oh, yeah. wasn't, it was very clearly people in from from out of Los Angeles. You're also once mistaken for Brad Pitt. So that kind of counts. Like you're like an unofficial Brad Pitt impersonator, which is famous uh, adjacent, I would argue. One one thing that's that's really good about guys with my look, the the long hair, the beard, is that like there are a lot of like really positive comparisons you can get. Um Yeah. I, my 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 wife teaches uh, high school Spanish in Kensington, and in 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 Philly. And her students have given me um, Thor, uh, Ooh. White Jesus, White um, Jesus, yeah, uh, Brad Brad Pitt, and um, Kurt Cobain. Um, you know, like 
No one uh, really. It's a little gritty. No one really unattractive though. No one really like undesirable. Yeah, it's like it's a wide spectrum. Like none of those people look like each other, but also none of them are like. They're not like, hey, it's Rowan Atkinson, and you're like, come on, man. <laughs> it would be funny got, in twenty. It'd be funny in twenty twenty. Ozzy Osbourne once. All it's right. the only one that is like uh, could be could be borderline. Uh, it would be funny but, in twenty twenty one if someone mistook you for Kurt Cobain and was like, that would be that's really, definitely really Kurt wild. Cobain. Wow, why haven't you why haven't you recorded anything lately, Kurt? Oh, it's JFK <laughs> Junior. I knew that this whole thing was true. Uh, Dan Kurt actually with us. has been playing in a pop band for, for, for years <laughs> under an assumed name. Uh, Dan's with us for a very, very specific reason, because Dan uh, is uh, unique among the Defector staff. He is fully vaccinated. Congratulations, Dan. He's had all his shots. Oh, thanks. I don't know if it's anything to be congratulated about, but it I, is. I think you I, should be congratulated. I certainly feel good. Yeah, we for, for this, is, this is a moment where... It's a time in history where treat yourself, you can treat yourself anytime and feel good about yourself, congratulate yourself for anything, especially if you got vaccinated, because we're happy, we're relieved for you and for your family that you got vaccinated. But I want to go through uh, the process. So uh, I know you wrote about it for Defector already, but can you tell us how you qualified and then the process of how you went about getting it? How does a young, healthy man who looks exactly like Brad Pitt wind (laughs) wind up getting a vaccine so soon? So I flew to the Yukon. I'm extraordinarily rich. Uh, and I flew to the Yukon <laughs> to take some some vaccines that were supposed to go to indigenous. No. Oh, um, that was. So I uh, I uh, volunteer since since um, maybe May or maybe even April. Um, I've been volunteering with Prevention Point, uh, which is a needle exchange and social services provider in the Kensington neighborhood of. Philadelphia. Um, Kensington is a is a very interesting uh, Philly neighborhood. One I really like a lot. Um, my my wife is a high school teacher there, and it, it is a both a weird like old white working class neighborhood, but also full of a um, Latin influence, mostly Puerto Rico and the Dominican um, over the last you know, 30, 40 years. Um, and it's also a place that uh, has been uh, the center of open heroin trade in Philadelphia for uh, probably even longer than that, probably like since the 50s. Uh, <laughs> I'm not positive about that stat. Um, and so um, Prevention Point runs a needle exchange on Kensington Avenue, sort of the main drag of of that area of Kensington there. Um, but it was started by ACT UP activists in the late 80s and 90s, and it's since expanded. It does, like, syringe services. You can, like, uh, have your mail sent to their site. Like, if you're someone who lives on the streets and you don't have an address and you need, you know, a way to access social services or just to send mail, um, you can get it at Prevention Point. Um, sometimes when it's cold, they have an overnight shelter. They do, you know, hepatitis prevention. They get people into treatment. They have restrooms. Like, there's no restrooms in, in Kensington for anyone who, who like you know needs a public restroom there um except at prevention point there there may be some others but i mean that's the main one um and since march they've been running a site called step up to the plate along with two other groups in philadelphia and that is just a meal site run out of a parking lot um in kensington um we now have a tent it's funny when i started we were like setting up you know like rickety card tables now we have like a big tent and all this like glass and stuff to to you know I guess to protect people. Um, 
So it's really interesting. We've served uh, 500,000 meals at the three sites of the three groups that are running this. It's Prevention Point and two other groups. That's um, fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been doing all this sort of volunteering since since um, since last year. And my boss got – I saw my boss got a shot late, late, late uh, December. And I was like, huh, you know, I'm not there as much as him. But I have the same sort of exposure as he does. I just don't get paid, you know. Um and and so I uh, I asked and he was like, I don't know, email them, try. And yeah, I had a shot uh, appointment with the city of Philadelphia um, a day later. Um, wow. Obviously, yeah. Uh, and then I got my second shot on uh, January 28th, the day after my birthday. Hey, um, that's a happy birthday. Yeah. That's... And so I uh, I had some side effects. Um, the first shot, I was just very tired. Um, the second shot, I was tired again and I had like, maybe I got it on a Thursday and that Friday I was just like, I had chills the whole day. I kept falling asleep. Um, but by Saturday morning I went out for a run. So I felt like totally fine the next day. And you know, even when I had the chills, I was like, well, at least it's working. Like I know that this is how a vaccine works. Yeah. My Um, parents got their first shot and they were, they were like pumped when they got sick the next day. Like they were like, oh, this like, there's no way that like, this isn't legit. Like look at how bad I feel. And but this has this has real COVID in it. Yeah, it was. That's <laughs> basically what it was. It's like the idea of like having like a, an espresso and feeling perkier. It was like my mom getting like a fever, like she had when she had COVID, you know, last spring, and being like, "Oh yeah, this is familiar. This is definitely uh, made with the best stuff on earth." Yeah, there's no there's no artificial Rona in here or preservatives. This is yeah. the real deal. <laughs> but they also had the the quick bounce back then. So I'm glad that that that. Uh, do you remember which uh, maker? You got oh, I got the Moderna vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the better one. I don't know if it's the best. I, yeah, that's actually remember. that's the one I want. I'm like brand. I'm like I'm like discerning now. I'm like I, I'm like I don't want the AstraZeneca one. That's trash. Give yeah, me, my parents got I, the Pfizer want, one, and we're like kind of bragging about it. Like it wasn't <laughs> like I mean you see brag about getting any vaccine, and like they they did have to work their ass off. They are not web literate people and they were basically doing it's like getting a, a reservation in new jersey is like being on the fucking Ticketmaster site trying to get like springsteen tickets like you just have to be there refresh and refresh and refresh never leave and then get lucky and that somehow my mom was able to do that oh go ahead Dan. some group in south jersey was using uh cue it to like cue people in for their uh vaccine appointments online and like cue it is like a uh, service used by like sneaker. I was going to ask if that would sell. Yeah, I mean, people people have been botting these these. Um, you know, botting means like using a bot to purchase something. Well, you can also use it to register for a vaccine slot. You know, it's it's pretty simple. The 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 tech is not that much different. Obviously, yeah. tech I wonder. Tech is, uh, yeah. And this is this is I'm speaking way out of my ass here, but uh, obviously. The the rollout is picking up, but it's been flawed, and, and you know it's been flawed in a lot of ways that have been irritating to people and have been very transparent. But I also wonder if there is some sort of uh, you know greater explanation where we, they prioritize the elderly first, which makes perfect sense. But they did it uh, you know through internet you know sort of infrastructure, and old people are the last people who are able to understand yeah. how to use that the best. So then that just slows everything down completely. I think it definitely had something to do with that. Like, my parents can't order groceries online. Like, do you expect them to do something this complicated through a bunch of, like, broken hospital websites? Like, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Uh, so ever... here, oh, go ahead. here in, in Philadelphia, we had uh, a group 
called Philly Fighting COVID that had, had been um, Oh, that sounds good. I'm people. assuming they were really good. Yeah, uh, so they were not. Um, <laughs> it was run by, like, a Drexel grad student. And, um, you know, apparently they, you know, the, the city has told me that they were, you know, very, very well liked when they did testing. Um, and then when they suddenly got the, you know, the, the city says they were like the only group to have the proper, um, like RFP for running the vaccine clinic, but they suddenly just cut all their testing when they ran the vaccine clinic. Um, the dude who ran the clinic, you know, took some doses home for friends to give them shots. Um, the, the clinic was, you know, eventually and then just shut down by the city um and now the city is back to administering tests themselves i i got my shot at a separate clinic um that was administered by the city i'm not i'm not quite sure why i got sent to that one as opposed to the 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 larger site was your wife vaccinated no she has not been vaccinated yet um i don't know when she will be um teachers here in philadelphia are currently fighting over, you know, when they're going to go back into in school. Um, oh, yeah, now, that's, that's here, too. It's now next month. Same thing that's happening everywhere. Yeah. Um, it seems sim- like a really similar. easy way around that incredibly shitty and cynical debate that we're having right now about public school teachers would be to just prioritize them for the vaccine. Like, if you're going to do this, instead of just, like, whining about the union and making demands of people. But that sure, somehow you, somehow that circuit hasn't closed yet. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. It, let me let me start over. Um, I really think it's a choice that we've done it this way. You know, I I read a book about polio recently um, to sort of get some ideas, and you know, the polio vaccine, you know, and that and the 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 polio vaccine came at the end of a you know decades long sustained push to cure polio that was in part led by, you know, an incredibly popular president. Um, so I read this book that won the, the Pulitzer uh, maybe about 15 years ago called Polio, an American Story by David Oshinsky. And, you know, he talks about this whole, you know, campaign and then talks about how, you know, right before when they were doing field trials, uh, the gossip radio monger Walter Winchell came out with like a big campaign against the vaccine. Um, and the do- during the field trials, doctors left with vials of the vaccines and gave them to their kids, you know, and then when they, when the field trials were successful and they, and they, they did it, uh, by the way, it was the, the, probably the best fact I learned from this book is that when the, the, the sock vaccine was announced to the public on the today show by their host, Dave Garraway, and sitting right next to him was a chimpanzee uh, that was the co-host <laughs> of the Today Show in the, in the early days. Um, and, you know, you know my wife when is they distantly out, related to him. The, the Dave, Dave Garraway, not the chimp. Yeah, Dave Garraway, yeah, yeah. Um, the Eisenhower administration, like, made no plans for how to distribute the, the vaccine. And it's sort of like the same thing as it is now. It was viewed as a, you know, a government takeover of healthcare, getting, you know, having a big plan to roll out the vaccine. It's more of a moral issue than anything else. The federal government under Trump and honestly under Biden too has sort of decided that like, no, we want to let the drug companies and cities and counties and states run the run the vaccine and fucking rollout. Walgreens. Because, because it will yeah, be seen. Yeah, yeah, drugstores too. Because it will be seen as there's 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 lots of reasons. One 
companies are pushing for essentially privatized rollout of the vaccine or, you know, semi-privatized. Here's what the head of Eli Lilly, I took some notes. Here's what the head of Eli Lilly said during the polio vaccine rollout. If the vaccine wasn't available commercially, we knew people would demand it from some source and we didn't want it produced by the government. So, I mean, there are lots of drug companies pushing to not have an organized rollout this way because they are against a government, you know, it, more government control over over healthcare. But it's it's a choice that we've done the vaccine rollout this way. You know, we have decided that it is better to do it haphazardly and do it worse because it some people don't like government healthcare and the previous administration didn't like government healthcare at all. And so um and so I I just feel like, you know, this is People are, are complaining about people skipping the line. Like, there is no line. When there's not any, any rules, who's going to get the vaccine first? You know, the movers and kickers. And who's going to get it last? The moved and kicked. You know, it's not, it's not a, it's the same as any other type of inequality in our society. And I don't think we should be surprised that this is how the, the rollout has gone because we chose to, to, it's been that, that way, way all through the, the pandemic at every stage that there's been. I mean, the sure. Philly fighting COVID thing was fascinating because grifters are fascinating and because this kid was such a an operator and stuff like that but that was i remember during the the early days of the the lockdown here when there were you know shortages of everything and there were you know people hoarding uh masks and hoarding sanitizer and stuff like that that like that element of i mean not just of the market and what it does to people in terms of uh their ethics um being compromised but also like just the general kind of like predatory vibe of American life right now is like, it's always been all through it. Like, and if, to me, like this guy bringing doses home for his friends or whatever, like it obviously sucks if those doses didn't get into the arms of people who need them more. But I agree that like, it's all been so haphazard at this point that like, to me, like just anybody who wants it should be able to get it. Like if there was enough of it, like, I don't care who gets it first. I don't care if I, you know, like I can wait to get it later. But also, like, if there was a dose that was going to be thrown out or whatever, all those stories about people just wandering around like a Walgreens and someone's being like, hey, do you want the vaccine? We're closing in two minutes. Like, those to me, I don't have a problem with that shit at all. Yeah, no. And, and you know, I, I do enjoy everyone's, like, how did you get the vaccine story? You know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've shared a lot with, of those with uh, – with with other people and i found a lot of like random stories like oh i registered on this website and now i'm going to lehigh county to get it and it's like oh okay sure uh, like uh or you know yeah wandering the the cvs and i'm getting it like next to where you know like old people buy walkers and and reading glasses um I and now, and obviously, there there are production issues. This is a new type of vaccine, and so we were going always going to have a limited supply for a bit. Um, right. And when there's a limited supply of anything, it's just like my precious sneakers. Um, <laughs> certain people are going to figure out how to get it before others. I'm and glad you know, like what a what a shocker! A dude like me floating through life, his whole life, is suddenly oh, I'm going to volunteer. You know, thinking I'm going to do some good, and then suddenly I get an advantage out of it. It's you know, it's it's what a what what a world. Damn, McQuaid wins again. I think it's good that you got it. I mean, you deserve it. Uh, not just because you know your your blogs are good or whatever, but like you know you you worked hard and for a good cause. I am a little sad that you didn't get to put your sneaker pervert skills to use in getting the vaccine. Like I feel like that would have been gratifying in some ways. 
Yeah, I know. I know lots of uh, fellow sneaker perverts who have been like, oh, I got my parents registered for the vaccine today. You know, <laughs> like once you've tried to buy like a Supreme Mortal Kombat arcade <laughs> game, like getting through the vaccine line is, you know, is much child's easier. play. You're just competing I do against think, elderly uh, people. I do think the uh, the inequality is worth uh, talking about a little bit more because you know there's there's inequality in the vaccine distribution and of course it goes along racial lines uh, sure. as everything else has because people who have been deemed essential workers are people who have been essentially forced to work during the pandemic against uh, you know you know uh, you know carrying a greater burden of risk than many many other people myself included have had to bear so. Here's the thing. I, I feel in this personally, I cannot, I have been a beneficiary of that inequality. I know I have because I, I got a job during the pandemic. I, I you know, I, I have a house. I, you know, I have a family. I've done perfectly fine. Nothing has, you know, I was already a middle-aged guy who was making excuses to not go anywhere. So all of that socially <laughs> helped me out. But I cannot perceive, um, how bad the inequality is out there. And I feel um, at such a remove that I feel utterly disconnected from just other people. Like I cannot know, cannot possibly know the mental strain and the physical strain that so many people are, are under. And I, and I feel as if um, there's no way for me to connect to those people in a way that, that I need to, in order to be a better person. So, I mean, this is how I felt back in the spring when I started volunteering at Prevention Point. I felt really shitty for, uh, you know, lots of reasons. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, it's really been rewarding to me. You know, I I, uh, the people who we, you know, run the meal site and run the 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 syringe services and and all all the other um, social services that Prevention Point runs, I think do do a, a great job. But I mean. I certainly feel really good having worked there for the last, you know, nine months. Um, were you ever um, Were you ever worried working there uh, for for the COVID element? Did, did were you ever like, oh, I you know, I, I got the yeah, careful I mean, and all that. yes, um, you know, I'm like, uh, so like certainly yes, um, but I don't know, I'm I like. I, I haven't been careful enough, I guess. I don't know. Like, I mean, I always wore a mask, you know, um, the sure. real site is, is, is outside, but certainly I could, could have gotten COVID the, the, um, the like poppy store, the corner store that I love, uh, down the street has had like several COVID outbreaks and, uh, and, you know, certainly the, the, the population there can be susceptible um it's you know it's been we've had higher covid rates in poorer neighborhoods um kensington is going through a weird gentrification um thing right now as, as you might have guessed um but yeah i mean i was worried about covid i didn't catch it um i feel very lucky about that um i don't know how i did it i masked you know all the time um most of my job at prevention point has been te- like lecturing people to pull their mask up as they, you know, as it falls down over their nose, someone inside or at the meal site, they'll walk like eight feet and suddenly the mask is down around their chin. It's like, we are nine months in. We need to, we need to get it together. Yeah. I think I know the answer to this, but um, have you, cause you have a wife who has not been vaccinated, but have you changed your personal habits at all since getting vaccinated? Have you gone out a little bit more or have you had friends over or anything like that? 
Uh, no, I have not. I did go into my parents' house for the first time in, in like, uh, you know, almost a year. Or whatever. Um, oh, that's but it was, nice. It was just, I, I mean, and I had been into there to, like, use the bathroom. But, like, I, like, sat on their couch for the first time in a while. And we were still distancing and, and masked. Um, but, no, I haven't changed my... Um, my habits yet i assume i will i don't i don't want to like lie here and say that like i'm gonna you know like i assume there will be a point where i'm like oh i'm vaccinated enough people are vaccinated i'm gonna go go somewhere um and i might um you know that could be next week i don't know um no i i you know i i don't think you know obviously the concern i'm not very concerned about getting it now um, although it's certainly still a possibility. I think the concern is that would I be spreading it to other people? Right. Um, we don't really know yet. It seems unlikely, um, but that doesn't mean that, you know. Yeah, um, I feel like I feel like that can. evidence is forthcoming. It's just not there yet, which is why, like, I'd really like to see my parents. They're fully vaccinated. Uh, my in-laws are going to be fully vaccinated on Saturday. Nice. And I'd love to have them over, like, go over there. And see them. And yet, because that hard evidence isn't there, we just can't. And so, See, a great thing about COVID is that you don't have to see your parents and in-laws as much. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, now, right. yeah, so, so, For some people, so, that is a real benefit. You can say So that. I have yet to tell my parents I've gotten the vaccine. Please don't listen to <laughs> Let's take a break and come back and talk about actual sports, all right? We'll be right back. And we're back. We got to talk about sports specifically. Uh, Dan, you are the perfect person to have on because Carson Wentz is in the news. Now we're in the post-Super Bowl phase. All eyes have turned to the NFL, the quarterback shuffle, uh, particularly Wentz, who wants out of Philadelphia. And the, <laughs> the, the Eagles fired Doug Peterson. Essentially, it would seem to me out of loyalty to Carson Wentz. And yet everyone in the Eagles seems to hate Carson Wentz. And so he's on the verge, potentially, of being traded either to Chicago or to Indianapolis, and uh, Les Bowen in Philadelphia already tweeted today that uh, Carson would prefer to be traded traded to Indianapolis, um, but that they're currently haggling over the price because it seems like the longer Wentz stays on the block, the lower that price will go. So my question to you, Dan, is A, is Carson Wentz worth a shit? Uh, and B, where do you think he'll go if he goes anywhere? I like how weird sports are where, like, I think I agree, too. It's like, oh, yeah, I'd much rather go to Indianapolis than Chicago. <laughs> nothing against, nothing against Indi- Indianapolis, but, you know, I, I tend to think of Chicago as the, uh, the, the, the more star city in the, in the Midwest. Well, it's a better um, city, but the team. But the know. team, no. I mean, certainly you would rather play for the Colts, right? I guess. Yeah, I guess, the, yeah they're I good. Guess. Yeah, um, but it is, it's definitely, I always think about that, like, free agent time, too, where people like, are like, oh, gotta get to Green Bay, like, yeah, no so one in our industry is To make is a fresh that, start you know. in Phoenix. Well, usually they go to the place where there's no income tax, so yes, it's like Texas or uh, yeah, Florida. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Carson Wentz uh, had a one very, very good season uh, where he got hurt. Yes, he and did. And he has had, uh, you know, three decent seasons. Um and then last year, he was like one of the worst quarterbacks I had ever seen. Um, and we should I, qualify that. Uh, Dan is an Eagles fan. Like, if you watch the actual footage of Wentz, though, like, he made bad throws that I haven't seen quarterbacks make. Like, he's just, he stunk. And I don't know if he's just been injured too much or it's like a concussion issue or, or, or his or, attitude. 
I don't think it's his attitude. Yeah, maybe maybe he's a, not a winner. Um, <laughs> I mean, if he weren't, if if it were just he's not a winner, he would have been much better than he was last season. <laughs> well, like the, looked, re- the report wasn't that he, you know, that he wasn't a winner or anything like that, or that he was lazy. Is that he wanted to do everything his way, and that he was babied by the Eagles. Yeah, and it's like, well. Like, uh, I don't know, like he was that way probably in 2017 as well. And they, you know, were very successful with with him. Like, obviously, people are going to complain about him, you know, after the like terrible season he's had. Um, Eagles fans complain Mm -hmm. uh, and and teammates. And uh, I don't know. (laughs) So I think they are. uh, I think Wentz is I I can say this. I think he's done. I don't think he's going to be a good quarterback ever again um hopefully he will use these words as fuel maybe because he seems okay i don't have anything against him he likes to kill animals but you know would you prefer that they turn the reins over to jalen hurts or they draft someone at number six um i would like to try jalen hurts but you know i don't i don't know enough about quarterback evaluation to be like oh no we need to get you know yeah like the guy from from byu i watched a lot of tape yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's good, Zach Wilson. I like him. I think his name is yeah. Jaden Braden, actually. <laughs> so, um, so I would like for them to stick with Hearts. I think that he, um, I think he. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say it, right. So, I mean, everything that Carson Wentz isn't, he is. He's a winner. He no, no, no. Um, no he, <laughs> I have, I, I think that he looked decent in in action last year. I don't know if he has it. You know. Physically, um, I guess. Like, I don't know if he has the arm strength or whatever. But uh, again, I don't know that well enough to to, to really make a make a, a great statement. But I would like to see them go with Hertz just because I enjoyed watching him last year. That's really a, a that's bad that's why I was reason. annoyed he got pulled out of this in, for Sudfeld in, in the uh, in you the know, Washington like, what game because I was what just if enjoying pulled, him play. The Eagles win and then the Giants beat Tampa Bay in the first round of the playoffs. That's right. It's like a butterfly effect of. Unbelievable! And then, yeah, and then Tom Brady dies in a cruise ship accident. Like a whole, <laughs> a whole parallel universe lost, all because of Nate Sudfeld. Just disgusts me, really. And by the way, I, no offense to you, McQuay, but I can't believe you call yourself an NFL fan and think you cannot evaluate the quarterback position. I am a true NFL fan, and I say Jalen Hurts has it. And that they can stick with them because of that. All right, the, this is what I like to hear. See, this is like this is what I actually enjoy is someone else being like, "Oh yeah, Jalen Hurts is going to do it." Because yeah. then that lets me more and more likely to be like, "Yeah, Jalen Hurts. Who <laughs> said he's going to do it?" This is that's, that's right. like basically the the entire fun of being a fan is a bunch of idiots getting each other fired up for some dumb stuff that probably won't happen. Uh, let's talk basketball real quick. I want to talk about two players. One is uh, Blake Griffin, who I believe, and uh, as of this podcast, is still uh, currently sitting uh, in dry dock in Detroit, waiting yeah, to be traded. In the is that correct? Zone. So it is essentially, uh, are we witnessing the end of Blake Griffin's career? Or and maybe Roth, you're the person to answer this. Um, or is this sort of just a holding pattern? I think it's we're witnessing the beginning of the last stage of Blake Griffin's career, which is when you're a veteran guy that becomes available at the buyout deadline every year that like he's in entering like Darren Williams mode, basically. Okay. Which sucks because like, I, you know, I don't know how much Blake has left or whatever, but he, when he was good was, I think as fun to watch as basically anybody that, you know, I can think of from the last 10 years, but 
Yeah, he's in that, like, the same way that, like, Andre Drummond or whatever, like, guys that have some value and would have, I think, a great deal of value to good teams where they wouldn't have to do as much right. as they do on the bad teams that they're on. But they're also paid like superstars still, and so what's going to happen is they'll get, you know, stretched or bought out, and then they'll get to be a role player on the Nets or whatever at some point. But it's kind of like, it's not quite the same thing as retiring. It's just still kind of like a grim uh, phase. Well, that's, that's interesting because I want to also talk about Russell Westbrook, who's now on the Wizards and, like, actively not good. And he seems like a different case than Griffin because what's been interesting about uh, Westbrook's downfall, and that's too dramatic a word, is that it's not like, it's not like he would be an ideal role player on, you know, you know, on the Lakers or something like that. That's just not kind of how he's engineered. Yeah, and so and so it seems like his fall has been much more precipitous because of that. Dan, do you agree? Um, so I think what's interesting about um, about Blake Griffin is that he was a player who you know sort of changed his career halfway through it. He became much more of a three point shooter, and um, yeah, and so he's he's sort of already shown that he can sort of fit into a different like role as a player. Already, um, I think he might be cooked. Uh, he's he he has like he only has like eight more shots at the rim this year than he has mid range shots. So he can't get to the he can't get inside at all anymore. His three point shooting isn't really good enough if he can't do anything else. Um, whereas Russ, uh, you know, he seems to I don't know if this is true. He seems to only play one re- one one way, um, and so I think it will be harder for him to to sort of slide into, uh, like, a new role somewhere. Right. Um, I, I do think that he's better than Blake at this point. Um, obviously a very different player. but uh, Yes. But I think he's still got something left in the tank, and we could see him do something somewhere. I'm just it's very a, sad. I'm, I'm still embittered by all the shit he got when he won MVP for the triple-double season. And I, that, like, and I really enjoyed watching him play that season. And so I sort of have a lingering goodwill from that. And I, I hate that he's declined so quickly that he sort of justified those people. Like, it just feels very, it feels like a big smarm enabler to me, which I yeah. don't care. Well, for. I mean, he's not, he's not a contemporary type of, you know, player. That, like, the idea of, like, you know, whatever, in-the-know basketball types. It's like the way he plays is the opposite of what they want. And... I always, I mean, I loved watching him when he was great. And I think even before the the sort of the triple-double thing, like he just played in that sort of like man-possessed type of way. Like it was a, it was performance. Like it really had like an element to it that was, this is going to sound terrible, but like theatrical, like there was something about it that really was like transporting. Like you could feel how much it mattered to him. And I think it, it clearly, you know, still matters. It's just like when the, when the bottom falls out of that, it you know, all you have left is the the sort of the theatrical element. There isn't really like you know, if, like he can't just like become a three point shooter. You no, know? like he and, can't and shoot. Blake, yeah, because he can't shoot. Right. I think uh, I don't know. There's something about like that type of player's end game that like in the same way that you know like Vince Carter is like the, the sort of the ultimate example of a guy who is able to transition from being like a real superstar to being a very valuable role player. And some people it's a, it's a question of skills and a question of like, you know, how you 
sort of understand your role within a team or whatever. But like Westbrook feels like Iverson in the sense that like he's not a guy that's going to be able to like step back and play 15 minutes a game. You know, like that's just not, yeah. like, which is, it's fine. And in some ways it's to his credit. It just means that you don't get as much of him to watch. He almost needs to um, be playing, you know, 40 minutes or, you know, 45 minutes a game and playing his ass off so that it radiates out to the rest of the team. And without that sort of contagion, then that is sort of where you lose the magic. And also, he, you know, he, like we said, he can't shoot. So that's not yeah. good. Uh, hey, you want a drink from the poison chalice, mm. Dan McQuaid? Sure. All right, because we're still in basketball. We're going to go with the, the terminally insane John Rothstein of the This Is March tweets uh, who got dunked on early this week. Uh, so Duke freshman forward Jalen Johnson opted out for the rest of the season because Duke sucks, and he doesn't want to get COVID. He'd prefer to go, you know, he'd prefer to go high in the draft and not get, get infected with coronavirus. And so John Rothstein tweeted, opting out with three weeks left in the regular season isn't opting out. It's quitting. Fantastic work. It really has real vibes of like, you know, people, you know, like SEC teams complaining that, you know, like, oh, they're ducking me because they don't want to play us because we like half our roster has COVID. There's like a whole part of the college basketball commentary that exists to say shit like that. Like Rothstein does, like Dan Dockett will say that, man. Like just let him do it. Like yeah, there's there's like there's a whole segment of um like college basketball guys and college basketball is a sport that I've like like I've been paid to cover the Big Five and the Ivy League and the Atlantic Ten for a series of like now defunct websites, um and like there is a you know there's like a very specific guy who's like well sourced into the LaSalle Explorers the Marist whatever. The Marist Red Foxes yes. and the Duquesne Dukes. <laughs> I was going to try uh, to be normal and not say Red Foxes, but it was very hard. I'm glad you got uh, it. You know, and like I, I was once that guy. Like I knew the Penn Quakers, the Yale Elias, Richmond Spiders, you know, all those good teams. And uh, Texting with the mascots. And, you know, and a lot of those like, you know, guys who do like yeoman's work covering college hoops are like kind of anti-player. They're more like pro-coach. Um, yeah, absolutely, and 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 Rothstein is like better source than I could have ever dreamed of as a college basketball person, and he's like a a higher tier college basketball guy, and I don't really see him as one of those anti player guys. He's more of just a just a weird tweeter. Yeah, he's um, a hanger on, and a, he, when, I, when I wrote about him tweeter. at Deadspin years ago, it was like he is a fanatical texter of coaches. That this is yeah. like it's generally understood that like on Saturdays that he'll text. Hundreds of people, assistants, head coaches, oh. whoever, just saying good luck today, coach. Oh, if that's he a had nightmare. gotten into like politics reporting, he he could. Yeah, have been he's really a he's good a fucking it, Axios right? guy, but for college basketball. Yeah, those there are those people where like you you text them and you're like, and then they text you back five, like five texts in a row, and you're like, oh, what have I done? Like I'm yeah. I'm never getting out of this text exchange. I'm fucked. Like uh, yeah. those. I think that's, that's a good point a that McQuaid makes, though, that that's, like, a distinction between, like, the TV guys who complain about, like, kids today or whatever, like, the sons of Billy Packer. Right. And, then, and then there are, like, the, you know, I guess this is, like, where I was trying to figure out where Rothstein was coming from with that. That, like, that sort of, like, posturing, I guess, is designed to sort of, like, shore up his credibility among the, like, chuds that he has to be texting with all the time. Well, and it is like, I mean, it's a very, I'm sure coaches were complaining to him about it, you know, and obviously when you cover college basketball, the players come and go and you become friendly with the coaches. 
you know, one thing, this is completely different, but I was, I was doing some research on John Cheney uh, after he died. And I found that like the Inquirer and Daily News in Philly, when he was like um, fighting against Prop 48, I think is what it was called. Um, the one that the uh, SAT had minimum like a thing, yeah. SAT minimum and GPA minimum. Yes, I the, remember that. The, the, the Philly press gave him like a lot. The Philly sports press, who I did not think of particularly, you know, like uh, pro player guys at the time, gave him like a lot of space to, in stories to sort of, you know, expand on his argument. And I was, I don't know, I was impressed by it actually by the, by the papers at the time. But it's like, it makes sense. It's like they know John Cheney and they trust him as a coach and they, they believe, you know, they've, they've known him for so long and these guys stay, you know, tend to stay, maybe less so now, but lots of guys you know, will stay at their school for a very long time. And so they have like tight relationships with beat guys. And I think that's how heavy college basketball people and probably football too, kind of become anti-player pro coach because they know the coaches. They don't really know the players for very right, long. Right, because that's going be, to be their eternal source for the team rather than a player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a practical choice too. I mean, it's more just, than anything else. It's just I'm too willing bad to because... give John Rothstein a uh, uh, mulligan so I can see him tweet, this is March 74 times in the next week or whatever. It's just, it's, it's just innervating to me because, you know, we started off the summer with, uh, you know, the open letter from the Pac-12 players and, you know, the Big Ten wasn't going to have a football season. The Pac-12 wasn't going to have a football season. Both of those conferences got browbeaten into holding, uh, you know, abbreviated seasons. And, and now we're, you know, and now we're having this slog of a college basketball season and, you know, we're going to have a tournament. It's going to be in fucking Indy where Carson Wentz would love to have it. And it's just, uh, you know, it feels like the bad guys won, you know, and it was sort of inevitable that they would, but now it's almost like, you know, Rothstein is helping them fucking do a victory. One thing, though, is that, like, it's funny. It's like Rothstein is right. It is quitting. Sometimes quitting is good. Like, we we are an example of it, I feel like. You know, quitting is fine. Sometimes it is right to quit, you know. Uh, obviously, you know, and, you know, in a normal year, you know, okay, you're letting your teammates down. In this year, what are you going to, you know? What, yeah. yeah. To me, it's like, like you're Christian McCaffrey. let down the moment you started fucking playing the season. Yeah. And, like, when, when Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette decided not to play in their bowl games, they were being smart. They were like, okay, I've done what I needed to do here to impress the NFL. I'm fucking, I'm done. I, did <laughs> I don't need job. to play in this exhibition game five weeks later in like yeah. Shreveport or whatever. You know? Yeah. Like to me, Jalen Johnson will not be the last of these people. He probably wasn't even the first. Like, like other players are going to be like, I don't need this bullshit. Like I've got my stock where I need it to be and I'm gone. I've been kind of perversely fascinated. There's the announcement this week that there's going to be an NIT and it's all going to be held at Madison Square Garden, but like they're really going to do it. Like they're going to have, you know, whatever the, it's going to be 16 teams or something. So it'll be a little smaller than usual. Yeah. But, a thousand year old John Feinstein was so excited. He's like, but the NIT the idea, is back. It's back. And, and in the, in the Mecca of basketball, like there, which is, there's a plague on, by the way. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, Are really, people going to be allowed to attend? The NIT that's what games? I don't, th- I don't think so. Cause if so, we're going. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, I'm I, going, I'm vaccinated. That's it. That's when I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to the NIT. I've been wait, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been really excited to see. Uh, mm, let's see. I don't Oklahoma State. I'm just curious how many teams are gonna are gonna withdraw from it. I'm sad that like the 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 CIT the the Vegas oh, Insider yeah. the CBI the the CBI 
presented by some pen company. I went to a game once and they kept saying <laughs> the name of this pen company, which was not like Bic or Pilot. It was not a pen company I had ever heard of. That was the <laughs> level that whatever this tournament I was at could get. Um, I saw my I saw my my pen Quakers lose to the Butler Bulldogs in a uh, at the Papermate in Invitational. A, I was gonna say, oh, it's a high race. profile a thriller. Uh, like matchup until you remember that it was being played at like under a casino. Uh, well, no. So it was, it's the thing, the Penn's gym, the palestra is like 10 billion degrees when it's not, you know, when it's above like 40 degrees outside. So Ooh. it was like, it was incredibly hot. And it was like a, I felt like I sweated out like five pounds. Um, <sighs> being there but i'm disappointed that these tournaments are not in because i thought i don't know maybe drexel could have gotten into you know like the fifth level tournament this year lasalle i had him pegged at like a third level tournament <laughs> um but now they're not going to go anywhere uh hey you want to play dead or canceled dan sure all right dead or canceled this one might be a bit obscure i, I think you know who this is uh uh famous stand-up comedian patrice o'neill is he dead or canceled Patrice O'Neill uh, is dead. Yes, Patrice O'Neill is dead. He was actually, He's... after he died, his colleague Lisa Lampanelli lit into him uh, for mistreating her uh, after the fact. But he was already dead by then, so dead always takes precedence over canceled. So he is dead. Oh, so he's also been canceled recently. Yeah, I didn't know that. I would assume he was uncancelable. Well, assume assume that every stand-up has been canceled. Well, I mean, that's I, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I read, there was a fantastic new... Uh, New Republic uh, article about how the stand-up movement was essentially was always gravitating toward the alt-right from the very beginning, and I know this because I grew up worshiping Sam Kinison, who would have fit right in with it. And how the you know the New York comedy scene, you know, there was a club owner who essentially became uh, an alt-right, you know, a, a Nazi like a shit poster like with an anonymous name, and he tied him back to that. And comics were still loyal to this guy because he was booking them and because he would let them, you know say like racial epithets up on stage and all that stuff. So, and Patrice O'Neill was someone I, I saw Patrice O'Neill live at the comedy cellar with my wife and he got no laughs and he yelled at all the men in the crowd. Uh, Cause he accused him of being subjugated by vaginas. That was his word. So it was like, it was one of those awkward moments where it's like, like the comedian is excited cause he's bombing cause he's testing out materials. But if you're in the audience, it really sucks. Like it's not fun. It's a drag, man. I always thought he was that funny. Sucks. But uh, he, I never, he could I never, be, I never had him yell at me in a basement in the West Village. So maybe, maybe I didn't was, get the whole experience. Yeah, he could be very uh, funny, except when he's you know accusing everyone in the audience of being a cuck. Then it's not so much. Fun. I was, I was trying to think of a stand-up comedian who like hadn't been canceled or couldn't be canceled. And the first mind that came to me was uh, Dave Coulier. And then I remembered, no wait, yeah, he was nope. canceled in a hit song, very yeah. publicly. So he was like yeah. the, he was the first canceled. One comic. of the first, yeah. <laughs> Uh, your guy of the week, uh, and this is a uh, uh, this is a macabre one, but uh, I, we just wanted to uh, pay tribute to late Vincent Jackson, the former Charger and the former Tampa Bay Buck. And I I remember Vincent Jackson so fondly because he epitomized the Chargers' philosophy when Philip Rivers was there of drafting the tallest, rangiest receivers they possibly could, and just saying, "Please go all the way down the field and catch the <laughs> the lobs." From this guy because they go 80 feet in the air and Vincent Jackson was really good at it. Yeah. So one of the coolest types of football player to me. Just like it's so cool. Like big him and fast Malcolm, dude who catches everything. 
Yeah, I mean, my Malcolm Floyd. Like, Keenan is there Allen. anything better in a football game besides a safety than like a long bomb pass going nope. to a speedy wide receiver? It's, yeah. it's Absolute, awesome. Absolutely also, he not. he sat out for like most of a season and then came back and like two games into it had three touchdowns. So <laughs> that was awesome. I yeah, like that, those I, are the types of things I like. I like those sort of effortless players who just casually get like you know 170 yards and two touchdowns in one game, and it's like, yeah, it was okay. I did all right. Oh like, yeah, like oh playing. maybe the Chargers should have paid him more money, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Milos writes in. This is the fun bag, Dan. It's, uh, is it Milos or Milos? I'm trying to think. Maybe I. Say, it's, I'm assuming that it's filmmaker Milos Forman. So Milos. Yeah, let's say let's say Milos. I think it's the character from that Seinfeld episode. Or it might be a Milos. Uh, Milos, Milos yeah. writes in, he made dinner tonight by combining a bunch of fresh and leftover ingredients along with normal herbs and spices, about 10 to 12 ingredients total. At the end, my wife commented that likely no one had made this specific meal before. This begs to ask, are there any original recipes anymore or have pretty much all modern food combinations been already made? I'm pretty convinced someone randomly did the same thing I did eight years ago, but maybe not. Dan, has every possible food combination been invented already? I'm not entirely sure, but unfortunately for this guy, about eight years ago, I had some fresh and leftover ingredients and some normal herbs and spices, about exactly 10 to 12 ingredients total. And I made this same exact meal. So, <laughs> so this one was not new. Um, it's so rare to be able to give a fully decisive answer to one of these questions. This is why they so, pay Dan the big bucks. Yeah, so sorry... Milos, uh, but I made that same meal. Yeah, same yeah. Ripped off the recipe for chicken a la McQuaid. Very, yep. very. It's simple. <laughs> it's just olives, a cream of mushroom soup, and an, a ham. So I will say that, no, cooking, right? So like baking is a science, right? So baking, everything's been baked. Uh, but cooking, which is more like free form, um, Sure, stuff is cooked differently all the time. And I guess you would need to decide, like, whether, oh, is half a cup versus a cup, is that make it a different meal or not? You know, like, if it's just levels of ingredients are different. But sure, I'm going to say that new meals are created every day. Yeah, but I maybe don't... Maybe not new baking. If you just go by the math, the, the number of ingredients, if you go by the permutations of, of just sheer number of ingredients, not even amounts... It's endless. Like it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's a very very large exponent, and then you and then you factor in amounts and cooking times, things like that. I I, I think it's I think it's possible. Yeah, I, I don't think that every and it's like commercialized, so it becomes more and more different. You know, like how we have like ten million more weed strains now than we did before it was legal in some states. Mm, um, delicious. You know, it, yeah, that's how, that's how it is with braises now. <laughs> that's yeah, right. like it's like you go to the store and there's like oh. There's not just one can of crushed tomatoes. There's like 700. Uh, this is a question for you, Roth. This is from Cooper. Cooper writes in, My girlfriend and I moved in together recently, and after a few months after we did, I went to sit down in the toilet and nearly fell because the seat was up. I keep the toilet seat down because I don't need to spray piss around my home, and it gets me more phone time. So I found this situation flummoxing. I asked my girlfriend why the seat was up, and she told me it was because she had soup for lunch and disposed of the extra soup by flushing it down the toilet. What? So I come to you to ask, <laughs> is it acceptable to dispose of soup by flushing it down the toilet? So, well, first of all, Cooper, thank you. Uh, for, <laughs> <laughs> Cooper Manning, thank you for writing in Yeah, this seriously, this is your legacy. You've got it. Uh, I think you've moved ahead of Eli in my personal power rankings. Um, 
So I guess the more I think about it, the more it is acceptable. You know, like it's a place to put liquids, uh, you know, and it's better than, for instance, pouring it into like a wire trash can. That would be worse. Uh, pouring it down the sink, I think, would be, you know, more or less where, you know, my first impulse would lead me. That said, it's fucking weird, and I'm not sure it's okay. Like, the idea of just, like, like thinking about, like, it's very easy to, to sort of picture this in your mind's eye. And the thing that I'm thinking as not this person picture. carries a brimming bowl of soup, not brimming, but, you know, the, a quarter of a bowl of soup into the bathroom, I'm just screaming, stop. I have to say, I don't think it's a bad idea because I like that this guy. So, like, it makes sense, and and like you know, not every place has a garbage disposal. But like, I and like, I like that Cooper was not like he was like just questioning it because I can see someone being like, "The toilet is for human feces, not for yeah. soup." <laughs> <laughs> which, which, when you say that, it's like, oh well, maybe maybe soup is fine to dispose. Yeah, yeah, of. Dave, like you've dishonored it with your bisque. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's like, oh my god, soup in a toilet? That's disgusting. Let me take it's a shit in it instead. Like, it'll, it'll flush. It's not like uh, you're doing like toilet paper. The soup, the soup will flush. So. <laughs> I, That's I, it. it depends to a certain extent on the type of soup. Like if it's like big chunks of carrot and potatoes going down, like that's just visually you don't you don't want it. Well, I also really, I also really appreciate that this is like the first. Thing he's learned about his girlfriend when she moved in, you know, like when you move, we've all moved in with, with, with people and, you know, you learn their, their weird habits. Um, and thank God my wife's weird habits did not include flushing <laughs> soup down the toilet. I, I think it's an intriguing idea because, uh, like when we have soup, like one time we are, our, our, our drain got clogged. And the uh, the plumber fixed it, and, and he said, "We said, well, the problem." He said, "Well, you put stuff down the disposal, and then the stuff got clogged up the pipe." And we were like, "Well, why does anyone have a disposal?" And then he was like, "So people like me make money." And so from <laughs> so we were like, "Okay, we we can't put shit down the disposal just willy nilly." So like when we have soup and dispose of it, I got pour out the broth, like grabbing like the chunks by hand as like a human as like a uh. makeshift strainer to get the broth down the sink so that I can then put all the all the fucking chop carrots and like chicken shreds into the goddamn you gotta i think this is, this is the question that changes your life because yes. now you know yeah there's another way that's another right world so, is possible so i'm like oh the toilet oh yeah. oh that's I, not that place just, that minestrone <laughs> i'm not sure what i would rather do i think i would rather like pay the garbage disposal man 600 bucks every three years than flush my soup down the toilet i've also uh, about the idea of like everybody forgetting how to act in quarantine and then just coming back going to restaurants and then like when you're done just taking your plate and <laughs> dumping it down the toilet in the bathroom you're like i cleared it it's fine here i've also done something where i've gotten like i've gotten a plastic grocery bag and put like like pot roast that we weren't going to eat like put that into the plastic bag and then put that in another bag and then put that in the garbage bag so yeah. it doesn't leak all over the fucking garbage bag. That's what we did last night with clamshells. It's best practices to me. But see, you could have flushed the clamshells down the toilet. And that would have been that, more normal. Yeah, individually. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is from Jeff. I'm going to go very quick. That's a very funny question. We have pretty similar backgrounds. He means uh, him and me, although different regionally. I also went to private high school and college, but in the South. Was there a piece of media that woke you up to the idea that you were on a different path from the doctors, lawyers, and bankers you grew up with? For me, the release of the first Rage Against the Machine album in 1992 was really the first time I realized that there were people having an American experience completely different from me, and the hyper-sheltered hyper -sheltered life I'd been living 
up to then was kind of bullshit. Dan, was there any album that opened up your eyes the way Rage Against the Machine woke up Jeff? Uh, not album. I was going to say the, uh, there is a pro immigration episode of ALF in like season one or season <laughs> no two. No shit. Uh, I would say that. It's McQueen that is what, chat. I didn't, I didn't like remember that as a kid, but we were watching ALF recently and, um, recently watched an Awful. episode this about. This is why you and, can't say things to Dan because you, you hear things like that in, re- in return. Unbelievable. Yeah, this was, this was, I, I've since been forced to watch ALF on my own, but. This one, my, my wife was watching, and we were, we were both amazed at how uh, seemingly progressive it was in, you know, 1987 or Inspiration or comes whatever. from the strangest places. That uh, is I actually, I went to college with the dude on the cover of Evil Empire. Was he nice? Uh, yeah, he was all right. Was, was he a, Repu- you were was he a Republican? That you, that you went to him. college with Alf. Alf. Oh, that would be good. Gordon, Gordon. Yeah, you know, Gordon some way. He's in my... You know. was, 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 he, was the Evil Empire kid, was he a Republican or was he like... Was he uh, no, he was a kid whose dad was a painter and Rage Against the Machine saw that painting and was like, that's our cover. And that's a good cover! Of his son. Yeah. yeah, it is. It must be weird being like on an iconic album cover. Like where... And like, obviously it's not like you would know unless he told you. Um, like, you know, like the baby from the Nirvana... Everybody profiles cover. that. Everybody profiles that guy. Yeah, but, oh, but I got the evil pro- empire kid. I'm gonna profile the evil empire kid. He's yeah. He did some sort of like. Uh, so he did some sort of like diabetes advocacy later. Some sort of disease he had. Oh, that's very cool. Brandon Nixon, our producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer, and our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me and Dan McQuaid. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector 2 because now we have been fortified by the immortal Laura Wagner who joins the staff this week. Oh, my God. Fear for your life at Laura Wagner. And fear for Dan McQuaid. He is fully armed and vaccinated. And, Dan, we are so happy to have you this week. Thanks. Thanks for coming on, dude. This was fun. All right, well, that is a great way to end this, because now we have to go. Bye, Bye, Dan. Bye, Roth. See ya. See ya. See ya.